Welcome into the Hybrid Dive Podcast. This is your host, Dylan Scott. And today I'm on here with Bo Willis. All right. So when I first noticed Bo on the map in the High Rocks Fitness Pro, it was last year at the World Championships where he finished second in the age group category. He's someone who will be competing in the Elite 15, Mr. David Megida. Uh, since then, Bo has rapidly progressed, pushing his way to flirting really close with that Elite 15 line. And we will be seeing him here in just a week over in Manchester competing at the World Championships again. Bo, how are you doing this morning, buddy? Good, Dylan. Thanks for having me. I just got to correct you real quick there. Um, I've heard this a lot on other podcasts as well. Well, whenever my name's been mentioned, they say Willis, all right? The last name yeah. is Willis. <laughs> okay, say it one more time. Bo Wills. No I before Dude, we... Nobody ever hears the last name Wills. I, I read yeah. it as Willis. Now, you did well. It was pretty close. Like, to be fair, a lot of the time, the first name, Bo, gets uh, shambled as well. Oh, see, I could have hit you with Boa Willis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so Bo Wills. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'd, I'd rather not butcher your last name on that. So, Bo Wills. Got it. Um. So, Bo, you this year were sitting on the cusp of being into that elite 15. Yeah. Yeah. Right there at it. And you're still going to come over and race Manchester. And you're one of the guys I've spoken with who, when I said, I was like, man, are you still coming? You're like, yeah, might as well bought the plane ticket. You had such a good attitude about everything. And I know it's fresh and I know it's raw. How's it sitting with you right now? Mm, yeah. Well, um, yeah. So I've, my last couple of races have set me up pretty good to be in the elite 15. Like I think, uh, so I did two sub 59s and um, I really thought that would be enough. And a lot of people told me that would be enough. I had my doubts and uh, the doubts kind of came true, I guess. Um, coming into that last race in Hong Kong, I knew I was in a lot of trouble when both James and Tom were heading there and they were both within 15 seconds of me in Cologne. So I knew if it's a, if they have a really good race, they're going to, beat the time and at the time there I was sitting in 15th so yeah that was uh that was when I knew okay very likely I'm going to get the chop um and yeah that was definitely heartbreaking I was watching the race live it was cool there they at least had the live stream so it was a fun race to watch but definitely heartbreaking for me um probably yeah five minutes after I wanted to cry basically the big goal has been to get there the whole season and I've been, to be fair, working my ass off to try and get there. Um, so to get that close, 16 seconds it was, was definitely a tough pill to swallow. Um, but yeah, I went for a run uh, just after that race and sort of um, managed to clear my head, just pretty much immediately switched gears to focusing on season 24 like I'm still booked in and going to Manchester and everything but I'm gonna go with the intent to yeah of course try to win my age group and give it everything but um yeah like it's it's really a big letdown not being in the big race and um yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll um I'll go and try and have fun basically yeah and I mean I like I know that that's a tough question to come out of the gate with and it's like damn that's just harsh to be like how how's it feel to be last minute in it? but mm. you went 58-37 and early early in the year I went 58-38 and going into this season I would have bet anything 58-38 gets you in you know yeah. so yeah. I, I would I was of the same mindset I was like oh this is safe 
and had the decision to go race Chicago not been made, and I would have stayed back because that was right around the time that like my son was going to be born, I had to really convince my wife, like, let me go race and I'll just be like, if anything happens, first flight home. Had I not gone to that, we would be head to head here in just a couple of days. So it's, dude, it's, it is brutal, but I have loved the fact that everything I've seen out of you training wise since then has been nothing but, okay, 23, 24. Yeah. Like just such a, a mindset of not defeatism, not complaining, just like, you know what? I'll be there next year. Yeah. And Basically, that's turn the page, carry on. It, exactly. Um, so with that, what we want to do is just kind of like go back and figure out we, we've gotten, we've started to basically where we are. So let's go figure out how Bo Willis got to where he is. Whoa, right. whoa, whoa, whoa. Bo who? Bo Willis, Bo Willis, Bo Willis, <laughs> Bo Willis. I'll get it right. Just give me, it's that, it's it's encoded in me to call you Willis. Yeah, it's locked in there. I'm going to get this right, dadgummit. So let's figure out where Bo Willis started at when it comes to his kind of fitness journey. So coming up as a kid, athletic, not athletic, what were kind of your, what was your background? And I'm talking like really young. Did you find you yeah. somebody who was always outside or were you an indoor kind of? Yeah. Um, no, computer games didn't really exist in my household. So we were just hustling around out on the farm, running around, playing rugby, soccer, um, climbing trees, jumping on the trampoline, that sort of stuff. Like my whole childhood was um, pure sports. And since then, like my life has revolved around sports. So from an early age, I was playing like with organized sports. I was more playing tennis, basketball, took up volleyball a bit later. I was always kind of in the school team for um, things like cross country and swimming and stuff. Not a big school, so it wasn't highly competitive to sort of make the school team, but um, without doing uh, running or swimming or anything like that, athletics, I was fit enough just from running around doing other sports that I could uh, get into those teams. And um, so I guess my natural running ability has always been there. I've just never trained it. Um, so yeah, that was like younger, younger years. That was, it. I started kind of playing in, I guess, regional rep teams and things for tennis, basketball, once I got to high school or a bit before that, actually. Um, so I never really fully focused on one sport. I was bouncing around just uh, I guess from my parents' point of view, they were big on just sportses to have fun and participate and enjoy it. And that's kind of the mindset I carried along with it. And so I wasn't like ever um, fully, fully invested in one sport, um, going going hard to try to get to the top of one sport. I was just kind of going with the flow, having fun, bouncing around um, into a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. So that right there, that kind of, multifaceted sporting approach it's almost perfect for creating like a well-rounded athlete sort of mm -hmm. kid um i know that a lot of kids now you, you seem like the question between should you hyper specialize versus should you let that kid who starts at you know five six seven years old and as they progress they might be better at one thing but let them do a lot of things yeah. so that they can develop um yeah my, my opinion would be to to let them basically let them do what they want. If they want to do a bunch of stuff, go for it. If they want to focus in on one, go for it. Like I think at a younger age, the the biggest um, bonus you can do for your kid is to uh, like let them, let them do what they want and have fun with it. Because if you 
kind of put pressure on in the early age that the burnout possibility is just like extreme. There's so many of the kids that I grew up playing tennis with and things like made pressure from their coaches and parents and they like that, especially an individual sport. Um, it, it's too much for young kids to go through that. And when did things for you start to shift in kind of one direction sporting wise? Because eventually yeah. you shifted over to primarily tennis, correct? That's right. Yeah, so I was playing like high-level basketball, volleyball, and tennis my last years of high school. And then my tennis coach kind of approached me like, look, there's um, some of the other kids I was training with were doing the same thing, getting scholarships to go to America and play college tennis. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. I don't really know what I want to study so much. Um, I want to play sport. I want to be around that sort of atmosphere. So uh, I jumped on that. Um, sent out a million applications to every school in America, basically. I didn't really know anything about the college system. <laughs> I was applying to everything from like Harvard to <laughs> right down the list um, and managed to get like a half-decent scholarship to uh, to play for a Division II school in North Carolina, Brevard. Um, I played a few years there and then transferred to a Division I school in New York, uh, Hofstra on Long Island um, and yeah kind of throughout those five years of college I continually kind of got better especially from focusing on, on one sport finally that allowed me to progress but I did have quite a lot of trouble with injuries with the shoulder and everything. Okay so you end up in Brevard which I've heard of Brevard before I'm in North Carolina right now so yeah not too terribly, I thought you were yeah. yeah 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 not too terribly far away from there um yeah. And then end up going to Hofstra. How long did you play Brevard for? Sorry? How long did you play uh, D2 in Brevard? I played two years there, then had a pretty good record and everything. So I was able to transfer to Hofstra, which um, which my sister just started playing volleyball for. So I was like, oh, okay. I'll go, go to the same school as her. Um, so managed to get yeah, a bit of a better scholarship to go there. And I, I actually redshirted my first year there. And then uh, followed up my last two years playing for them. And then, so while you're playing at Brevard, you might have played against the school that I went to. Did y'all ever play Lander? Uh, that definitely rings a bell. Um, my memory with all of that stuff is is pretty rough. So if I've heard of the school name, it's a good chance we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was, a, that was a D2 school like in the area that was known, had a decent tennis program. So yeah, y'all might have y'all might have rallied a little bit. Um, yeah. So end up going up to Hofstra, and in that progression, you mentioned some shoulder injuries. Mm-hmm. What what kind of what were those? How did that derail you? Like, or yeah. did it derail you? You just kind of troop through them. Yeah. Um, no, it definitely impacted my tennis for a while. I was just in pain. I I don't think it was real. I had MRIs and all sorts, and there was a bit of damage in there, but it wasn't anything to get a surgery for. Uh, but it, yeah, it sat me on the bench for a while. Um, and honestly, I started, oh, I was always lifting a lot of, like, I was always doing a lot of fitness um, and I guess kind of bodybuilding style workouts outside of my tennis training, um, which to be fair, probably some of it, like a lot of benching and curls and things like that, you know. And so that was on top of the tennis was probably not great for the shoulder, but then just the repetitive motion of, of playing tennis, it's so lopsided and one dimensional. So 
um, that wore it down. Uh, when it actually started really getting better um, was when I took up CrossFit. So getting CrossFit on the side, going through full range of motion, strength movements and things, just uh, while diverse strength programming, it was it really uh, – my last year playing tennis, I was fitter and stronger and, uh, I guess, injury-free on the court the whole season. So I find that quite interesting. You might be one of the first people that goes with, I started doing CrossFit and became less injured. So I'm going to open the floor and give you a moment to dispel the whole CrossFit gets people hurt sort of idea. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, I hear this all the time, especially in the high rock space as well. Like a lot of the top athletes are like, um, I've heard it a bunch of times. Oh, uh, tried CrossFit. It it, hurt, it gets me hurt. It, like I don't have good range of motion and this and that and like snatching and handstand walking. And it's like, it's too crazy. Like a high rocks is just simple, effective, basic movements that like can keep you safe and everything. Um, and I agree to that to some extent, but it really depends on how you've been, how you've been coached, how you, how well you move in CrossFit, right? So yeah, of course, if you're trying to rip out kipping pull-ups and your shoulder mobility just doesn't allow, and it's getting like wrenched every time you go in through the kip swing, like it's, it's not going to be great. But um, if you develop the range of motion, the strength and the joints and everything through more the strict movements, um, then all of that pipping stuff, the squat snatching and more complex stuff. Um, it's great for stability, strength, endurance in the in the joints and the muscles. I think it's a game changer. It's almost like I guess my a lot of my CrossFit training now is is like almost rehab, I would say. And so did you come into that that CrossFit background with any kind of um, you know, understanding of proper technique work or did you really build yourself foundationally up? Uh, so in starting my corporate? tennis coach at the time knew I was into fitness stuff. So um, what's that? Oh, I said, did you um, did you have any like foundational lifting experience or like outside of the bodybuilding work? Or did yeah. you go from the ground up and learn how to do those movement patterns before really incorporating them at high volume, high intensity? Yeah. So basically I... Yeah, from reading magazines. I mean, I wasn't really on the internet or anything back then, like 20, 2010, 11, uh, for bodybuilding style workouts. I was just taking stuff, what I saw in, in magazines, I guess, and what other people were doing in the gym. And then, um, yeah, looking into or my tennis coach hooked me up with an internship one summer before my last season of tennis uh, at a CrossFit gym nearby uh, the the school. And so basically I was – um, joining a class every day. Um, the coaches there were giving me a little bit of extra sort of knowledge and feedback on the methodology of CrossFit and things. But essentially what I was doing was filling the soap in the toilets and um, joining a class every day for my internship. And then I was coaching tennis um, for the rest of the day, basically. Um, so that was my introduction to CrossFit, just, uh, just joining regular classes uh, I loved it, got hooked, and then went and did my level one CrossFit certification and yeah. um, just kind of kept doing CrossFit on my own during tennis season outside um, our tennis trainings and ended up um, coaching when I moved to Switzerland with my girlfriend. So I was coaching full-time straight away after doing three months or so of um, just CrossFit in classes. 
and it's been pretty much full-time CrossFit coaching since like the last eight years. Okay. So pretty much just kind of got introduced to it, started working your way into it, found the love for it, started taking certification courses, and now you found yourself eight years deep um, yeah. as a CrossFit. You, um, are you a just a trainer, a box owner? Uh, so um, yeah, real quick, the story went, went to Switzerland, was like a manager at a box for two years. Uh, then visa ran out, so I had to go back to New Zealand. I was coaching full-time there for a year and a half before I moved back to Switzerland. And then for the last uh, three and a half years now, so when I moved back to Switzerland, I opened my own box and okay. been yeah running that for the last three and a half years, Tahi CrossFit in, Bus in uh, Basel, Switzerland. Okay, solid. Yeah. Now, I would say CrossFit and tennis, two quite different uh, sports. One yeah. very long, you know, long duration, stop and go. Another yeah. is basically full bore, short duration sprint. Um, there are some aspects, of course, that would be similar, quick snappy movements. but what was the mindset like shifting from tennis into CrossFit from a competition standpoint? Because I did see you started to integrate yourself into doing comps and stuff like that in the CrossFit world. Did yeah. the mindset translate or did something have to change? Um, I, I would say it changed, but like, yeah, not a huge deal of change. But in tennis, I was kind of doing what I was told to, um, went along to the trainings. I would do extra just because of the fun of it. Like I just had fun playing tennis. I loved competing and I loved like grinding out long matches and trying to like obviously extremely upset when I lose, like very competitive, uh, did not like to lose. And I love that competitive and uh, aspect of it. But I also really liked the individual um, aspect of it. So I love playing doubles, but singles was where it was at for me, like just you out there on the court against an opponent. And I think that when taking over to coming over to CrossFit, like everything's on yourself like you can train crossfit um when you want where you want like there's nothing holding you back you don't need a training partner necessarily um so just that aspect i, I really also developed the a lot more knowledge with i guess um we're just seeing how other people train and was like oh that's possible you can do that much you can do like you can put that much time a day you can like so i was just slowly building up to what i saw the top athletes doing um but yeah the sports are very different and uh i to be fair i probably suited the like body type and strengths and weaknesses i would have suited tennis more if i went full go at tennis but um because i just aren't naturally strong enough for crossfit so for the last eight years my competitive training for crossfit has basically had a massive bias towards, I guess, powerlifting and Olympic lifting um, and very, very little emphasis on running because I was always the best runner at a CrossFit competition but the worst lifter. Um, yeah. So that was always a massive focus. And did you, in, in both sports, so within tennis and within CrossFit, did you have anybody that you like your, your tennis game that you tried to model it after? And then when you came into CrossFit, did you have an athlete on the the pro level that you looked at? And you were like, okay, this is kind of I like this guy. Like, yeah, yeah, um, oh, massive respect in tennis to kind of the top three: Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. I grew up watching those guys compete, um, and just 
watching their game, how they conduct themselves on the court. And, um, yeah, that they were definitely role models. Uh, when I came into CrossFit, yeah, I got pretty very much into watching, following the top athletes, huge respect to all the top, top athletes. Um, and yeah, I would, I picked up new skills and everything quite well, quite easily. So, uh, watching them compete was, I think a huge benefit to me. Like I never, I've never had a coach, I would say in CrossFit, like there was three months where I joined classes, but then since then I've been the coach. So basically my coaching for myself was from watching top athletes and I get really inspired with athletes that have the ability to move well, move efficiently and just like, like Federer on the tennis court, make it look easy, graceful, effortless. Um, and that's what I love. Like that, that's like art and CrossFit, you know, just, um, smooth snatches, like flying over the rings. Um, yeah, just when, when athletes make, the t- the hardest things look effortless. That's what that's what I inspire to to work towards. So there's a bunch of dudes, especially land ladies, of course, in the CrossFit scene. That over the years, that uh, that aspect of CrossFit has just skyrocketed. Earlier days, there is some ugly stuff going on at the top <laughs> of the sport, and yeah. um, and over I guess my CrossFit career type thing it's it's progressed so fast and and now it's super inspiring and like beautiful to watch the top athletes compete yeah and, and i agree so even though it is something that i am just atrocious at i love to watch olympic lift yeah um and so they they recently they've had like the european champs and the asian weightlifting champs and i'll sit there and i'll watch how smooth somebody yeah. will take uh, will squat snatch you know 200 yeah kilos and you're just like what yeah, is like, going on right it's absurd the crazy they thing is as well so light. yeah they make it look so easy and the thing is is if it's just a kilo more they'll be failing so it's like it's like reaching their absolute pinnacle of strength but their technique has to be borderline flawless and they'll nail it if one little micro yep. part of the movement goes wrong it's a it's a big old fail so it's it's they're going to be so accurate, so strong, powerful. It's um, it's a good example of how to be like a well-rounded athlete, knowing how to squat snatch really well. Yeah, it, it exactly. And like I was, you know, they're just now they're having like Eastern uh the regionals. Yeah. Um. So or what is it? Semifinals for CrossFit. Yeah. So the the event they had the other day, run snatch snatches into running, and yeah. I had just kind of finished watching some of the the best olympic lifters in the world <laughs> and i'm watching them them snatch and then it goes and you just see the levels to it where you're like yeah. there's a, a pretty crossfit snatch and then there's a a beautiful real like super i only train for this snatch yeah and if you've only ever seen the crossfit snatch you're like wow that's impeccable yeah and then you get but it is so cool to see the different levels of finesse that people get to and the same thing like you said even in tennis Keep yeah. Federer makes it look so easy. Yeah. And that's a beauty of a technical sport when somebody can make something that is extremely difficult look like just you or I pouring a glass of water. Yeah. And and that's that's quite impressive that you can tell how different it is the top CrossFit level snatches and the top in the world snatches, right? Because a lot of people can't see that difference. Like an example is I remember when I was 
sort of 15 years old playing a tennis match and some of my friends from school who have no idea about tennis are watching um when we come off the court they're like oh my god you're hitting it so clean like that's you look like Federer and Nadal out there. And I just have a laugh because it's like there is about a thousand levels before I'm anywhere close to Nadal and Federer. And um, they like they see that live and they can't believe how good it is. But, you, you know, unless you're really diverse, diverged into the sport and you know all the ins and outs about it and you've watched it a thousand times, like you can't actually – a lot of people can't see the, the difference from a high level and – an elite level yeah it, a- absolutely and you get that across you know every sport same for distance running you know yeah. like they people see people see me run they're like oh you're a fast runner and i just laugh i'm like no i'm not <laughs> like you don't understand um yeah. <laughs> like my mile time people just rep that out for 26 miles yeah. and yeah. they don't even win that marathon like yeah. i don't think you understand the the left and so it, it is incredible to watch somebody at like the peak of sporting yeah. execute on that so yeah run, running is something i've never watched or had i guess had a lot of respect for until i've started training for uh, high rock so the last yeah. sort of uh 12 18 months when i've really dived into running training um watched a lot of videos listened to podcasts and things to really get my knowledge around how to train for it who's the best what kind of times are possible um and i've i've just gained a ridiculous amount of respect for runners it's insane what they can do eh? dude it's it's crazy and it's like it's every sport honestly has that to where if you've never really immersed yourself in it you're like ah, i don't yeah okay they're good and then you like try it and you play around yeah. with it you're like oh no they're like really good yeah, um, yeah. it's that <laughs> whole effect when i was a tennis player or a crossfitter i thought i'm a good runner and now that I'm a high rockser and I can probably I've dropped like six t- six minutes off my 10k, I'm like, whoa, I'm a crap runner. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way better than a year ago, but like I in my head I'm thinking I'm I'm not good. But a year ago I thought I was damn, I'm a I'm a good runner because I'm beating all my teammates on the tennis court. I'm beating everyone at CrossFit events. Um so it's just who you surround yourself with, then that creates a totally different outlook. Absolutely. And so that takes us to here. So now we've gotten, we've gone through the tennis, we've gone into the CrossFit. What got you to that first high rock starting line um, back, what would have been maybe two years ago? I think your first race. Yeah, it was a year and a half. I think it was Munich um, in end of February last year. Okay. So uh, I actually had a, a guy come in, um, a come into my gym and he was uh, wanting to train at, at my gym and was saying, I'm training for this this race called High Rocks in Basel, um, which is where I live. So okay. I had a look at the race. I was like, oh, yeah, CrossFit's your way to go. And then on second thought, I was like, I'll do this with you. This looks this looks right up my alley. Um, so I signed up for this one in Basel as well. It was supposed to be in early March. Uh, and this was end of January. Okay, so it was maybe, yeah, five weeks or so okay. out from the Basel race. Uh, and then, so I was like, okay, I'll start cracking into some running just on top of CrossFit. Um, at the time I was maybe doing one kilometer of running maximum a week in the summer. So nothing in the winter. Uh, and then, uh, just slowly built it up over the next few weeks. Basel High Rocks then got canceled or postponed until the end of the year. 
but they gave you a um, a discount code for uh, the Munich race, which was actually a week earlier than Basel would have been. Um, so it was about four weeks after I heard about it that we went to Munich and raced. Yeah, so that was kind of my introduction to hearing about it and doing it. Okay, so with, with the delays and everything, how much time did you have from hearing about the race to actually starting to add in that running to go to higher than, you know, one hour a week? Yeah, yeah so um, it, it was about four, maybe five weeks from when I decided, oh, this is something I want to try and this is something I really think I can be good at. So, um, yeah, I went I went from basically no running like this is when I did a lot of research these few weeks I did a lot of research about running I didn't have a lot of running knowledge through my CrossFit education so there was a lot to learn there um, and I started applying it to my own training uh, just slowly adding, adding mileage kind of doing the range of different tempo to interval to long runs um, within my training and and built by the time I raced in Munich I probably just built it up to about 15 to 20k per week um and basically the whole year last year i slowly just increased mileage uh throughout the whole year and so now you're up to you know what point mileage wise because honestly yeah. 50, you said 15 20k a week yeah 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 that that's not exact i mean that's that's not much further than the race distance on race day <laughs> yeah exactly and honestly the the first time i'd I'd just kind of go out for a moderate effort 5K. Um, my calves were in bits for days. Uh, I remember my first long run, which was one hour. I was going at a five-minute pace, which was definitely too fast for an easy long run. My heart rate was in the red zone most of the time. And I was I was uh, hanging on and I was um, smoked for a few days, like four or five days my calves were feeling it. Uh, I was about yeah 170 average heart rate, and now I'm doing that sort of distance way quicker and and way lower heart rate. It's pretty cool to see the progression, especially the the fact that I thought I was the fittest I was ever going to be. Like I was at the peak um, a year and a half ago or so, like just from all the CrossFit hammering myself for like almost a decade, um, and then I start introduce these these running workouts. And things just climbed, eh? Like my aerobic system just got bumped up to another level. All right. And so we see the aerobic system go up. Your first race, I think what I saw is you set your goal out to go 115. Yeah. So I like just going off the numbers and the movements, everything, I thought sub 115, I'll be happy with. Uh, 70 minutes, I'll be over the moon with. Um and because I knew my running was no way near the top guys at that point. And so I went and I did a 66 minutes. So hour six minutes, just over. And so I was stoked with that. I was like, damn, I'm going to be good at this. And so <laughs> I just kept, just kept cracking on. I, I start, started incorporating more and more running. Like I said, um, by the end of the year, I got up to um, up to 60k a week because running still is my weakness compared to the top guys and I feel like um, is my ceiling there is a lot higher like I'm pretty much at my ceiling for all the stations and all the movements just from all the okay. CrossFit right yeah all right so your running still progressing we're getting up to you know you you, you set the first off 
I think you might be one of the few people that I've ever seen set a goal for High Rocks and not have drastically overestimated how fast they thought they were going to go. Yeah. <laughs> because like most people, I'll see them, they're like, I did this simulation in my gym and I'm going 55 and yeah. then they go 70. And then it's like, it, you honestly, I mean, to walk away with such a big, you know, um, I guess. That's a big win, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge but, win. To be fair, I like like I said, doing CrossFit for so long, doing so many variations of workouts, I know my body better than most people. So yeah. like, I know exactly what I'm capable of. If, if you show me a workout on paper, I'll tell you how long it'll take me at full send effort. Um, uh-huh. And I'll be within 30 seconds of that, no matter if it's like a three-minute workout up to a 30-minute workout. So um, probably even more so now. Like, uh, So I'm really in tune with what I'm capable of. And that helps as well for, for pacing, for everything like that within High Rocks. And so after that 66, you race again. And what was that? Was the next race for you? Was that over in Las Vegas or did you have anything? Uh, so I, I want to say about six weeks later, I did Frankfurt. I dropped a few minutes. I was like 63 and a half. Um, and then that's what got me a, a qualification for the world champs in Vegas. I was like, okay. let's do it. I committed, I went to Vegas and I was really hope. like I knew I wasn't at the level of the elite 15 at that point. And, yeah. um, but I wanted to, like, I literally wanted to go to see, like I'm running on the same track, the same course and see exactly where I stack up against them um, to see yeah. like where the differences was. And, um, and so I was really disappointed. I didn't really know how the setup for Vegas was. And then when I got there, I realized, okay, the elites are doing this grid style race and you can't actually compare the times. Um, and I went, I PB'd at least, I went 62 and a half there. Uh, yep. So that was my last race of the season, but it was kind of annoying. I couldn't really see exactly where it stacked up against the top guys because the time beat a bunch of a bunch of you guys in that race at that point but yeah. like i knew you guys were probably <laughs> had a couple extra minutes there for sure just because of the setup yeah i mean i'm pretty i don't remember my exact time from that race but you might have been faster than me to be honest on the layout for that course um, a few of them yeah maybe half but it was definitely yeah. a faster course oh for sure because um i mean you just don't like everything changes when you have the whole down and back for stuff like burpees yeah. lunges kettlebells like all that, you know, yeah. just completely changes the dynamic of how long it's going to take to get through the movement. Yeah. But that said, it was still a extremely impressive showing. Yeah, I, I was, was also like disappointed that. with how it was just we were all separated by age groups. So I didn't even get to race Megita, who would have been like I didn't see anyone in my age group after sort of the third station. I was just kind of out on my own. I didn't know. Um, I didn't even know there was like separation of age groups. So um, that was uh, that would have been cool to actually have uh, the top in the like the top qualifiers all kind of racing together, regardless of age. Um, yeah, that that would really like the setup. <laughs> so yeah, they didn't really have it set up to where like it was just a mass race. They had it partitioned by age group. Um, yeah. And do you know how much you won that age group by? Because you're What's your age range? I think it was at least a couple of minutes. It was in the 30 to 35 age group. 30 to 35. Yeah, and, yeah. and Megita was racing one age group up. Yeah, 
And Chris Woolley was in that as well. And I think I, I like was just a few seconds in, in front of Chris Woolley's time. Okay. I always yeah. I forget how old McGee is. Old dog. Yeah, dude, I forget. I'm like, all, all, right. all these guys are old, man. It's yeah. promising though for us, huh? Got a few yeah, more I, years. Hey, it's good. Hey, I'm fine with it. I'm one of the younger dudes. I'm waiting on like, you know, when they start requesting you know, kits and everything for like worlds and stuff, when they, they put like t-shirt size, short size. When they're gonna start asking them like what size diaper they need and everything, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, be Tom, soon. Tom Hogan's close to a hundred at this point. I gotta assume. Yeah, at least I think <laughs> triple digits for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that would like I understand. Like part of me does understand why you would make it like age group partitioned out. But for those people who, particularly like you, so when we go back to Leipzig World Championships the year before, they did kind of the same thing where it yeah. wasn't the same layout. Um, and one of the guys who will be racing, Tim Weinish, who's gonna, who raced the last two world champs, like he showed out and had the fastest time on the day of anybody, but was racing in, you know, a wave with like a completely different um, layout. And he yeah. was big on, he's like, man, I could be the best in the world. And he's not wrong. Tim was very good. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like a good barometer, but you do wish that you could compare, like who are these up and coming people? And how close are they really to like busting yeah. in? Yeah. Because now you have to wait until the whole next season to even see them on comparable yeah. courses with other individuals who are in that race. Yeah, no, definitely. But at least that race in Vegas, like I knew, all right, within a minute or, or two of the the back guys in the Elite Fifteen, I'm sure I'm I'm there. So oh, you are. With a whole sort of summer and things of, of training, I knew my, my running was definitely on the rise. So I set the, the goal right there. Like I was talking to Christian, the one of the founders. Yeah. Yep. And while the, while the elite race was on, and I was like, um, yeah, I'll be in that race next year. Um, and he was like, yeah, I don't doubt it. That time was really impressive. And, uh, and man, I got, I got close. And uh, it would have been nice to be like, tick, got it. <laughs> No, it's, it's understandable. And I think with the progression that you've shown, um, that you definitely, you're going to be somebody who's going to fight to be in that elite 15. And I think that sometimes it's like being at the right place at the right, right time, because we do have some races, like I know it's supposed to be a uniform race, but there are some times that are unquestionably like head scratching. Yeah. Where, where you look at it and you go, yeah <laughs> uh, are, we, are we sure like yeah. and and you have some people who to their own right will own up and go yeah that was fast um like yeah you have some folks that'll just be like no it's you know that's the race but you have yeah. others that'll admit like that's fucking quick man um yeah. and so sometimes it's the right place right time and i don't think that we've nailed down getting the top 15 fittest high rocks athletes actually to the elite starting line yet yeah uh, I would um, like I know there's a lot of talk around this and, and a lot of people are saying oh how they should do the qualifications and whatnot um, I've thought about it a lot and I actually think that the qualification progress uh, process this season has been good um, like I like it how it's the time format and everything and the top 15 times like it can't be argued if the courses are more the same right like it's all speculation what courses are fast and what not. Like if you beat someone by a couple of minutes, then a few weeks later they go and pump you. Like that's very yeah. questionable. 
Um, and that's been happening a bit this season. So I think it's not so much about the qualification process. I think that's good. I think it's more about they've got to have more of a standardization, um, standardization across the events. Like I know all the weights, the distances and whatnot supposedly are exactly the same, um, but I think they need to go beyond that. They need to make uh, like how many corners on the on the running course you've got, how many yeah. laps. Like you can't have a three and a half, three and three quarter course lap uh, for your Ks and then on another course it's like just over two or just on two or something like this makes a big difference if you're if you're turning a right angle corner another 13 times across the race like that's 30 seconds maybe um another example is like if like I've done a course this season where we've been up and down farmers carry uh eight times uh to get the 200 meters we've been up and down lunging and uh, burpees six times and then you see other courses where it's one down and back for the farmers carry one down and back for the lunges and this is just seconds on seconds and when it's when it's so competitive at the top right now um like from basically i would say like number eight in the world to to like number 30 like there's a bit of a there's definitely a aspect of luck there who's going to have the right courses um, so I think if they maybe have a standardized, like, okay, the, the farmer's carry, you have to have two to four turns. You have to have, like, you know, where it's not so diverse from course to course, because yeah. it, it can't be that hard, I'm sure. Oh, we say that, and then they'd be like, hey, can y'all plan a race and pick a right venue that meets all of these? <laughs> and then we, me, yeah. and, me and you, we'd be sitting there like, actually, uh, Maybe it is. Yeah, that's your job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, like, just follow our requests. We're not yeah, going to make it. Happen. You guys got to do it. Absolutely not. We are here to complain, and you are here to fix it, Dad Gummit. That's right. Um, that's right. But, but I do agree. I mean, even if we go to the sport of like track and field, there's a reason why 200 meters and 400 meters outdoors are faster than indoors. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you look at it's the turning. It's yeah. the it, there's a reason why the pole vault indoor is higher than outdoor. Like. You don't have yeah. the you don't have the same element issues, so yeah. like you don't have some two hundred meter uh, tracks and some four hundred meter tracks and some six hundred meter track, and you like, exactly you if you look at it, and it's just like these small things because if if we look at like U.S. if you go to the U.S. and you look at where do people run really fast mile times, you know everybody seems to do it at the University of Washington. Why is that? They have this weird oversized flat track indoors versus. Yeah a lot of the same uniform bank tracks, 200 meters. And so you just make a slight deviation in banking and distance per lap. And now you've suddenly got somebody who's running mile PRs. Yeah, yeah. And that's over one mile. Now you add that up over five miles and then start to make all these different deviations in turning for going back and forth or straight down. And all of a sudden you got 30 seconds. Yeah. So yeah. It's definitely it's, it's, like I feel for the Hyrox uh, staff and whatnot that are putting these these on and having to dealing having to deal with the complaints and the and people like us talking I guess shit about the system a little bit. I mean, I, I love what they've set up. It's it's a huge success for sure. But um, it must be tough in their situation to, and they're doing better every season. The, yes. Like there's improvements from this from this season from last season. There'll be more improvements next season, I'm sure. They're just ironing out the crinkles. Like it's such a young sport. It's it it's definitely trending in the right direction. No, I agree, and I think you're right with saying that. Hey, the qualification process they have 
is honestly a pretty good one. Um, hmm. I, I don't know how much I loved the championship season of having like North American and Europeans both open to people flying across and yeah. taking up those auto bid spots. I was like, that didn't make much sense. But outside of that, I agree with the 15 times. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like in any sport as, as the athletes, you can put your point of view out there, but into the end of the day, you're just signing up for their sport and you got to do for what's sure. to that. Like, uh, and, and it's like the same arguments happen all the time in CrossFit. Oh, so-and-so missed out on semifinals because of this aspect of this workout. And like yeah. workouts didn't suit. And like, you don't have at least that in high rocks, like the workout's the same, but um, yeah. In CrossFit, the end of the day, they're trying to find the fittest person in the world or the best CrossFitter in the world. Right. And, and high rocks can, can argue the same thing. Like the, the top five guys in high rocks, girls and guys, no matter what course they race on, chances are they're going to put a time. If they do a couple of races in the season, chances are they're going to definitely get yeah. a time to qualify, right? And then, I mean, everyone from five up to 30, like battle it out, like <laughs> see who sneaks in. You might get a bit lucky or not lucky. Like it doesn't matter. We're trying to find the podium and see you're who not the wrong. You're, you're not wrong. I, I very much agree with you that like, you know, if you start going from five back through 30, you can make a case for every, yeah. almost every single one of those guys being in the 15 or on the cusp, like super close. Yeah. And and there's been talk about extending it to 25 or 30 for the elite race. And I mean, I've been a little bit leaning towards, yeah, that'd be cool. But now that I've just missed out, I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, keep it at 15. I, <laughs> I, haven't finished, I haven't finished trying to get top 15 yet. So I'm going to I want them to keep it at 15. Well, so. well, what if they make it? What if they make it 20, but you were like 13? Would you oh, okay with that? Be all right. That'll be all right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess they can bump it back a bit. But, um, yeah. yeah you're going to have I'm your own arbitrary marker. 15 next year. That's why. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm, that's not – I mean, I don't count that out of the question. Um, I've seen your training. You train hard. You train smart. You're learning, you know, along the way. You've got a hell of a strength background. Um, and now you're creating that running efficiency by doing, you know, some workouts that you might get from people from time to time, um, that might be kind of fun. That might take about 75 to 80 minutes that might include a lot of lunges and running and rowing. And do you know where I'm going with this one? <laughs> <laughs> the classic Dylan Scott test. I've now done it twice. Oh. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible experience, but it's a great test. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to rib you on that one. Um, <laughs> but so now going into going into worlds right now, is yeah. there anybody within your age group that you're eyeing that you're like, all right, I got to fight this person for this? Or uh, oh, yeah, good question. Honestly, today I just had a look to to kind of get my gauge on it a little bit. There, there's a handful like that are in the top thirty. I just looked at the top thirty, um, and like there's not. The, the the one that I would really think I would have a tough time dealing with would be Gabe, who just won the – I mean, kind of uh, – he came third at Hong Kong, right? Yeah, yeah with the penalty. 59. So he's in my age group, and but I know he's not going to be there. So other than him, there's a few, like, Spanish guys. Um, uh, yeah, there's a few, but um, no one that I've uh, – either no one that I've raced or no one that I've – um, at least not beaten by a few minutes at a race. And so is it within your mind, like, 
I you don't strike me as this conceited person who's gonna walk to the line and like crack your knuckles and be like, all right, I'm about to fuck y'all up. Like, I think that you have a respect for how long and how hard the race can be and yeah. how things can go sideways. So, yeah. are you coming in with a, a game plan? Are you approaching this like, uh, yeah, hey, I'm gonna I'll- race this, or are you just going to you know? I'm going to go just enjoy this moment. Yeah, a little bit of both. So um, when I found out I wasn't in the Elite 15, obviously a massive letdown. I try to build up my mindset to the way that I am going to go there, send it, try and PB, try and beat everyone. And um, honestly, the motivation dropped off a lot for this race. Like I'm not anywhere near, obviously I'm not anywhere near as excited about it as if I was in your guys' race, but um, uh, like I'm a com- very competitive, so I'm gonna yeah. still go there, compete, and if anyone's next to me, I'm going to try to beat them. Like, there's no way around that. Um, I'm to be fair, I'm kind of hoping that I don't have to go to the darkest of dark places, like I have in pretty much every race of the season, because yep. I've been chasing a time all season, right? And it's all about like squeezing every second out of it that you can to get the, the qualifying time. So you're kind of racing the clock more than each every person. People can help you pull you along, but at the end of the day, you're racing the clock for these qualifying times. Um, and this will be my first race that I'm probably going into with the mindset that like I don't I, I do care about the time. Like I want to show that I'm still improving. Um, but like if if I'm a minute ahead of the next guy, then I'm not going to push. Um, and yeah, and a little bit, a little bit of that as well is I'm I'm kind of planning to do the race in Italy the week after. So okay. best case best case scenario here, um, I do have some like some gap from the next person coming into the second half of the race, and I can afford to not murder myself right but if someone's right there with me or ahead of me i'm i can't help it i'm going to um but yeah when when i wasn't in the elite 15 i'm like how can i kind of create a scenario where i'm satisfied with the end of the season because even if i do pb and i win my age group it it sounds i don't want to come across like um like arrogant or anything but i i won't be satisfied with the with the result like i won't be fully stoked with how it ended i wanted to be in the early 15 i didn't get there um and yeah that's how it is but like, that's not arrogant though you know yeah. that's not that's not that's being a competitor yeah so that's, being, that's what a competitor like some people might see that and be like well he's not happy with being an age group world champion. man when your goal is not to be an age group world champion you can just basically in your own mind as much as other people might love it they're like fuck that. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I don't want to come across like because I know there's a lot of people that worked, put everything towards getting to the age group world championships, and they've made it and they're stoked. And then I kind of put a bit of a downer on the importance of that. It's very impressive, but that's that's not my goal. So I wanted to end the. I mean, it's the start of the next season, um, the Italy race a week after Manchester. Yeah. But I want that to be kind of the end of my season. I, in a perfect world, I'm going to race Manchester. I want to yep. win my age group without killing myself and then continue a deload, like a bit more of a deload after that and then hit Italy and then actually uh, bury myself on that one and then be able to like 
with content take a bit of time to step back because I've been yeah. full throttle on this thing. No off time, like no de- no real deload, no real yep. like time out of just progressing and pushing and pushing since January 22. So like I, and I kind of promised my girlfriend I'll take a step back a little <laughs> bit for, um, for a month. <laughs> so I'm not so caught up in this and obsessed and just every minute, every second is thinking, doing um, this fitness stuff. So trust me, I, uh, yeah. I understand. I need that. Um, I need that good finish, and that's in a perfect world. That's how I'm going to finish the season um, and get a bit of a head start on all you dudes for next year. I, oh well, hey, if you're taking a month off, you ain't getting a head start on me, brother. <laughs> well, just, a month I, off for me looks uh, looks very different to the normal person. A month off will be okay. One training a day. I'll limit it to an hour and a half. Um, that's still a lot of work. I can still progress a lot in that. You, no, you, you absolutely can. I'm just picking on you. Um, <laughs> and and I think before we depart from where we were at for just a moment at that whole, like, I don't want to denigrate um, the individual who is aiming for an age group world championship, like you said. So I think that is where the importance of setting internal versus the external validation goals comes in, because nobody who aims to be an age group world champion should hear you say, I don't want to, I don't care about that. And then devalue their own progress. You know, yeah. like there's no part of me. If I set out to go run a 5k PR, guess what? I'm not within sniffing distance of a world record, but if I PR, I'm happy. Yeah. So it's all relative. yeah. And and then if at that same time, if Joshua Chepta guy ran my 5k PR in a race, he would wonder if somebody yeah. took one of his legs time. away, he'd be like, um, it, did I just do this on my hands? Like, why did, why did that take me three and a half minutes longer than normal? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so, and, and there's no part of me that goes, well, if Joshua Chepney guy has a terrible race and he's like, well, that was bad. I go, oh man, well, I guess I suck too. Like, you know, so <laughs> it's important to, to understand that just because whatever your goal is, if that is somebody's, you know, floor and that's your ceiling, doesn't matter. Yeah. Like exactly. that's still your ceiling. Like you should still yeah. be happy when you reach that. Yeah, we, we can all agree and understand that everyone's ceiling is at a different level in every different aspect of life, right? Like uh, if you want to talk about my uh, managements or no, my like organizational skills, right? My yeah. ceiling is incredibly low. Um, and and a lot of people that are that I'm beating by a long way in high rocks would uh, really pity my skills in the organization realm. But, you know, that's just everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses. And um, I know my ceiling is very high in the high rocks race. So I'm going to set a realistic uh, goal for that. Completely understandable. I just I like to hammer home that point for anybody who hears, you know, that kind of stuff. And make sure they understand like no it's not yeah, i appreciate that it's so not about the comparisons across people it's just you versus you and yeah. where's that barometer moving yeah and you know so i look forward to seeing you here in like i know about four days um i'll be flying over tomorrow to to make it over to the uk hopefully by tuesday afternoon and then i'll see you probably thursday friday and yeah. we'll you know we'll meet up maybe get maybe get a training session in if possible Depending on when you get there, just like a little, just easy, just like little, you know, spin chat kind of deal. But if people want to follow you, keep up with you, you got any shout outs you want to make? Um, shout outs. 
no, not really. You can you follow. Don't wanna, you don't want to plug your own. You don't want to plug your own CrossFit box. She's like, no. Yeah. Okay. My my CrossFit box, Tahi CrossFit, T A H I CrossFit. Um, we have an Instagram page and stuff. We're here in Basel. Uh, so if anyone's keen to drop in, we're we're also affiliated Hyrox Gym now. So um, anyone that's going by can come and buy, can come in for a drop in and and hit a workout with us. Uh, my personal Instagram is Bones B E A U N Z. So my name plus N Z for New Zealand. Um, so yeah, you can follow me there. I usually post. Uh, I've more recently been posting a lot more like the last year or so. Um, more about workouts and yeah stuff regarding high rocks. Solid. And, and just so that we end this on a better note that we started it, it is Bo Wills, everyone. His <laughs> last name is Wills. Don't yeah. you add that second? I, I've okay. heard it a handful of times. I listened to one. I think it was Rich Ryan. He said Bo Willis. Um, James Kelly said Bo Willis a bunch of times. And, and I'm actually good mates with him now. He really should sort his stuff out there. He should know that. Oh yeah, my so goodness. I got a word to him about that also. That's fine. We can just botch his name. We can just call him James Keeley. <laughs> yeah, James Keeley. We'll just keep calling him that until he gets it right. Yeah. But I, this has been happening my whole life. I'm kind of used to it. It's a bit of a laugh. I remember in swimming sports in school, over the loudspeaker and tennis tournaments, they're calling up, Bew Willis, please report to the start line, Bew Willis. So, yeah, it's not foreign to me. It's, it's all right. For some reason, everybody wants to call me Scott. They never want to call me Dylan. And if they do call me Dylan, they always – like, I don't know how you keep messing up Dylan. It's a pretty common name. I yeah, get Thailand so much. Yeah, if you do that, though, you can just brush it off. Like, hey, Scott, and you're like, oh, my name's Dylan. Yeah, so I'm, your last name's Scott. I'm just calling you by your last name. But, but you can brush <laughs> it off like you meant it. You can't brush off like Willis like you meant it. It's just not my name. Here's, <laughs> here's the problem. People aren't that smooth, Bo. They just go, Scott, and I go, no, it's Dylan. They go, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was Yeah, you got to be fast on your feet. Yeah, yeah, man. They are clumsy. Um, <laughs> but, hey, it's been good speaking with you. See you in a couple of days, buddy. Everyone, you too. I look forward to watching Bo your race. I will, um, I will definitely be watching your guys' race on Friday night, and um, I will have my running shoes on with me, so if anyone wants to pull out, I'm there to jump in. Okay, someone. that is an open invitation to anyone in the Elite 15 except for me. If you're checking out, if you tag me in. I'm there. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. You have a good rest of your Sunday. You too, Dylan. Thanks a lot. Right. See ya. Bye.